Hi, and welcome to the Pine Ridge House Sermon Podcast. We are a church located in Calgary, Alberta, where the Bible is our standard for all faith and practice. Thank you for joining us today. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Psalm 63, and starting to read there in verse 1. O God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who trusts in him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your word, and I pray that this morning, as we spend time in it, that you would use these words to penetrate through to the depths of who we are, to the core of our being. Uh, Because, Lord, when we hear from your word, we want to open ourselves up to receive from you. And I know, Lord, your spirit has a way of uh, taking this text and uh, making it apply to our lives in ways that only your spirit can do, and we give you that freedom to do that this morning. We count it a great privilege that you would call us your sons and your daughters. We are so grateful, Lord, for the forgiveness we have. And as forgiven people, as sons and daughters, we now want to hear from you. And so I pray that you would help us to understand, interpret this right, and to apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you can be seated. So we're continuing on in our summer series on the Psalms. And we find ourselves in Psalm 63 this morning. It's a psalm that uh, I've titled, uh, The Devoted Life. The Devoted Life. What does a life of devotion look like? If you're devoted to something, or if you're devoted to somebody, what would it look like? And David here is helping us understand what what it looks like for him to be devoted to God. This is what it looks like to be devoted uh, to the Lord. Now, there's no question that David uh, delineates this kind of devotion in other psalms, but I would suggest this would rival any other psalm in terms of... uh, Uh, a complete understanding of his full-on devotion to God. And so that's why I've called this uh, this morning, the sermon, uh, The Devoted Life, or this psalm, The Devoted Life. And these days, of course, uh, we're devoted to all kinds of things. And how we know we're devoted to things is because of the time we spent. The time we spend, sometimes we're devoted to people. Uh, You know, people are devoted to Tiger Woods and how that guy plays golf. And so we admire how we, he pushed through his broken leg, and we admire how he golfs, and, and we copy him. If, you, if you're devoted to somebody, you copy him, and you want to talk about him. Um, other people, maybe uh, somebody like a Jordan Peterson, they follow him on TikTok or, I don't know, I'm trying to be contemporary, I'm not doing very well. He's probably not on TikTok, is he? <laughs> Podcasts, that's what he is. Podcasts and things like this. So you, you listen to what he says, and you admire him, you read his books, and, uh, and you want to hear from them, and in conversation, you talk about them. Uh, this is what we do when we're devoted to, to somebody, and sometimes we're devoted to other things. 
I get a very unwelcomed message every Sunday morning that tells me what I'm devoted to. I got it again this morning at 9.23. It tells me how devoted I am to this thing right here. Now, I don't know if you guys get that message too. I don't want it, but it comes in, and I'm, I need to talk, talk to my daughters on how to get rid of it, because this message tells me how devoted I am to the phone. It's called screen time. This is how much screen time. Does anybody else get that message? See, we all get it. Who else wants that message? We need that gone. So when it comes, you know... It, yeah, no. I know, right? When it goes down, you feel like there's a victory. And your screen time's been up 20%. You're like, I'm a failure. I'm devoted to this thing way more than I should be. Now we make all kinds of excuses, right? Because we say, well... You know, I use it for talking, I use it for texting, and sometimes I use it for shopping. And so these are all things that we tell people why our screen time's been up. But if we're to be honest, sometimes there's this funny video, and I go, that was kind of funny. And, and then the algorithm flips into gear, and you go, well, that one's funny too, and that one, and that one. And uh, on occasion, sometimes in my living room, uh, there's five of us not talking to each other, all looking on our phones. And then on occasion, somebody bursts out in a lap to go, oh, you got to see this. And so this is what happens. <laughs> this happens in our house. Um, I myself, uh, I read the news, and I read it way more than I should. And uh, so this screen time that comes up every week tells me that I'm really devoted to my phone, and I ought to feel guilty about it. And is there a way to get that off? Yes, yes. Thank you. See, this is what happens as you get older. When, you're, when, you're, when your kids are first young, you're the expert. And you tell your kids, this is how to operate with all technological. And then there's this shift that happens, and all of a sudden, you feel like you're being condescended by them. You feel like you're this little child, as they tell you. (laughs) Dad, give me this thing. I'll show you how to do this. And then they flip through, and they never teach you. They do that on purpose. They don't teach you to keep you dependent on them. Because they want that position of authority. Anyways, I digress. I am way off. Um, That's not in my notes here. But we're devoted to things. And David here, he says, this is what it looks like to be devoted to God. To be devoted to God, this is what it looks like in my life. And um, he helps us out here at the beginning. I'm sure most of you have this. Right underneath Psalm 63, it says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Do you have that in your your notes there? Uh, This is um, when people were trying to kill him. Did you notice that down in verse 9 as we read it? Those who seek my life to destroy it. There are people trying to kill David. At the end of verse 11, the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. So there's people lying about him. There's people who want to kill him right now. And so David, he's out uh, in the wilderness. He's not uh, out there for a stroll to see what it's like in the wilderness of Judah. No, he's out there because he's on the run. Um, I have a few uh, pictures here for you. Uh, just to tell, show you what, sometimes you hear about the wilderness of Judah, what is that like? And when I was there, I got the chance uh, <clears throat> to take some pictures. This is what the wilderness of, of uh, Judah looks like. There's nothing there. It's empty. It's desolate. There's nobody there except for this one woman on this cliff edge. Uh, but there's nobody there. It's, it's empty. There's no vegetation. There's nothing there at all. That's, that's Masada, by the way. It's pretty cool. Um, But out in the wilderness, he's out in the wilderness of Judah. Why is he there? Because he's on the run, because people were trying to kill him. Now, it says later on in verse 11 that he's the king. So what is the king doing running for his life? We don't know because David doesn't tell us here, but it's probably one of two options. 
And um, it's probably he was either running from Saul. You remember when, when Saul knew that David was, uh, was going to be anointed king? It could be that David was already anointed here at those early stages. And you remember Saul's trying to kill him. And he's on the run with his band. And so he's off in the wilderness of Judah. Or it could be when his son, do you remember his son Absalom, uh, creates this insurrection and wants to overpower him because he gains all the, he gains all the, uh, the favor of the people. David finds out about this and he's running for his life because Absalom wants to kill him. So David is helping us to understand, first of all, here's what the setting looks like. I'm on the run. People want to kill me. They're lying about me. And so this is the setting in which we find David talking about his devoted life. And isn't that often with us? It's often with us when we're in the most most adverse type situations, that's when we, we, we talk about and we, we declare to God our devotion to him. And so this is what David is really doing here. So first off in verse 1 and 2, the devoted life, it craves for God. The devoted life craves for God in verses 1 and 2. You'll notice here he says, I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, which is where David is right now, um, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because of your faithfulness. And so David knows what it's like to be in the sanctuary and to be in Jerusalem and to have no opposition, etc. But now he's on the run and he's talking about what it looks like to be devoted to him. And he says, I crave for you. I seek you earnestly. That's who I am. And as we go through the, the Old and New Testament, the people who are devoted to, to God talk about what that looks like for them. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1? He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, look, I get, I know what it's like to be here, but he says, I want to be gone. I don't want to be here. I want to be with the Lord. I can't wait to be with him. Because all those who are connected to God have this craving that will not be fulfilled until we're with him in glory. And so we want more of God. And so the Apostle Paul says, I really want to be with, I really want to be with Jesus. Do you remember Peter? He was the same in John chapter 13. Jesus says, look, Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be going away. He was telling all the disciples. And, and Peter says, well, where are you going? I'm going too. I want to go with you. I don't want to be away from you. And I know that there are people who suggest that, you know, like when I drive in my car, Jesus sits in my passenger seat and he's just, it's just like he's right there. Well, no, no, he's not. Now, we get his spirit and we get the comfort of, of God's Spirit. We get the directional leading of God's Spirit. We feel like we're sons of God in John, uh, rather Romans chapter 8. So yes, all of that is there. But Jesus himself says, you can't be with me until you get to glory. So while we're on this earth, we crave for him. That's what the devoted life is about. We crave for him. And so how do we hear from him then? We hear from him. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. In times of old, uh, God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us in the Law and the Prophets. That's how he has spoken to us. And then the, the author to the book of Hebrews says, but in these latter times, he has spoken to us in his Son. So how does God speak to us? He speaks to us in his Word. And so when we crave for God, we crave for him to talk to us. And I know that there's all kinds of ways in which you know, there, I think there's some hyper-charismatic groups out there that really have this very, very familiar type thing where God talks back and forth with them. I, 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 I tend to doubt that kind of an idea. Uh, but the notion in here is that we crave for God, and so we want to hear from Him. And the way that uh, God speaks to us primarily is from His Word. Now, of course, He speaks to me every day as He does to you all, as He leads us into the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I get that. 
But the primary way that God's talking to us is from his word. And so we go to his word because we crave him. And we pray to him as well. Because we want to talk to him. We love him so much we want to talk to him. Now, this is one thing that I don't want this sermon to be about this morning. I don't want this to be about guilt. I've already guilted you about your screen time. <laughs> I don't want this to be about guilt. This is not about, oh, so this is what the devoted life looks like in ISOC. And I don't do that. I want, I want you, if God wants to speak to you, and if he does and he's going to convict you this morning, of course, he can do that. But I want you to understand that to be devoted to God is not just seen when you're praying, when you're reading the word, when you're at church, or when you're studying the Bible. That is not the only pieces of the devoted life. To be devoted to God is to work. You choose not to work, God's hand of approval is taken off of you. Doesn't matter how much you pray. Doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. You choose not to work, you're being disobedient to God. So when you are working, God's hand of pleasure is on you. Because you're expressing the devoted life because you're doing what God asks you to do. He asks you to spend time with your husband. He asks you to spend time with your wife and with your family. That's what it is to be devoted to God. Don't put them in separate categories. Also, to be devoted to God is to rest. Many of you are going on vacation. I've heard many of you will be away next week. Sorry, you'll, you'll miss out on, on Ka, 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 Koistra. Koistra. I'm, I don't pronounce his name wrong. Sorry, you're going to miss out on that. But I know many of you are going to be away next week on vacation. Why? Because that's a part of life. And it's a part of the Old Testament. They went to these feasts three times a year. Everybody stopped their work, and they went to Jerusalem. And they met all their family and their relatives. They praised the Lord. They ate together. They traveled together. That's what God wants. And so when you're resting, when you're on vacation, it's not like, oh, I'm not devoted to God now. So this is not what that sermon is about. God asks us to do many things in life that express our devotion to him. This is going to be primarily in terms of his spiritual connection directly with God. But this is not the only component. I wanted to, I wanted to say that because I, I didn't want this sermon to be about feeling guilty by the time we're finished here because you need to spend more time. And by the way, there is no perfect schedule. I know we all think that I need to spend more time here, less time there. What's the perfect schedule that doesn't exist in the Bible? And God's communion with us, he understands, but at times there's things that, that, that do lack, and by his spirit he convicts us. Or we read his word and we understand we need to move this component more forward than it has been it's been in the back. And so, yes, God does speak to us that way and he moves us that way. But I don't want this just to be about a sermon about guilt. So, first of all, um, the devoted life craves God. We want him. We can't wait to be with him. To live as Christ, to die as gain, we can't wait to be with him in glory. And so we crave him, and there's a yearning inside of us, and it won't be fully filled until we're with God in glory. And so while we're here on this earth, all devoted people have this craving for God. Secondly, um, the devoted life is fully satisfied with God. It's fully satisfied with God. We pick it up there in verse 3. Your loving kindness is better than life. Your love for me is better than life itself. All that life has to offer me, even all that life has to offer me as I walk in God's way, all that life has to offer me on this planet, on this earth, pales in comparison to the full satisfaction I get from God. It's better than life itself. All the benefits, all the pleasures that we get out of living for God in this world pales in comparison with being fully satisfied with God and God alone alone. 
Remember, we talked about this. Asaph said the same thing as David saying here in Psalm 73. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, Psalm 73, verse 25. Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. You're it. You're all I need. We sing these kinds of songs, and we believe these kinds of songs, and in our devotion, we say this to God. You are it for me. If I have you, I've got everything. Your loving kindness, your love for me, the love relationship that you have with me, Jesus, is more than anything I desire on this planet. And so, yes, the the devoted life is fully satisfied with God, and Jesus himself would say that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and I am the life. I am the life for you. And so the devoted life is fully satisfied with God. Thirdly, the the devoted life praises God. This is what we do. We praise God. Everybody who's devoted to God, we praise Him. We pick this up here at the end of verse 3. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. You want to know what the devoted life looks like? We talk about God. We talk about how good He is. We praise His name. My lips will offer praises with joyful lips. My lips will praise you. Have you ever found yourself at times when you're in prayer and you start thinking about how good God is to you and then you kind of move out of prayer and you find yourself thanking God because you can't help it because we praise Him for who He is and what He's done in our lives. It's an amazing thing. And notice here that it's not just done verbally, it's also done physically. I will lift up my hands in your name. This is a physical response to God. There's many different kinds of physical ways in which we can express our appreciation and our praise to God. We can lift up our hands to Him. We can bow down on our knee. We can look up to Him. We can close our eyes. But there's a physical expression that shows our dependence and our praise toward God. Now, this doesn't mean you have to do it publicly. It doesn't say that you have to do it publicly. It could be private private when you're alone with God you just can't help yourself and you find yourself with arms outstretched or you're on your knees because it's your whole body that's praising him sometimes for me when I walk along the berm on 16th avenue I'll be walking there and sometimes I'll just lift up my hands I'll just praise God and some people might think I'm a little bit weird I don't do it by the way when somebody's approaching me all of a sudden they approach me just right no, I don't do that. I, but, but I find myself sometimes just in, 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 in adoration of God. I lift up my hands. And I think, I don't know what the cars are thinking as they're driving by. I don't care. You don't, like David, he says, I don't care. His wife said, oh, haven't you been humiliated in front of everybody? Oh, the king, haven't you done? Just? And he says, no. He says, I'll be more humiliated and I will show more dependence on God than you can even imagine. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if people think I'm weird. I love the Lord, and I praise His name. So, yeah, maybe, maybe some of you are more comfortable to do it in public, but in private, it's also the expression to God, so we praise Him with our lips, and we also praise Him with our entire being. And the devoted life looks like this. If you were to hang out with a person who's devoted, if you shadow them, you know, we talk about that in, in basketball or hockey or whatever, where somebody shadows somebody, that means they're with them all the time. And if somebody were to be with you, and to look at what your life of devotion, they're going to hear you talk about how good God is. Because the devoted life does that. 
You hang out with me, you hang out with somebody here who's devoted to God, you're going to hear them talk about the praises of God. We can't help it. He's so important in our lives, and we've got to talk about how good he is, and we praise his name. Fourthly, the devoted life reflects on the goodness of God. It reflects on the goodness of God. We pick it up there in verses 6 to 8. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is what God, God's goodness to David, that's what he wants to talk about now. And he reflects on it. He says, when I remember it, he talks about meditating on it in the night watches. The night watches, by the way, there's three night watches of four hours each. He says, in the night watches, I remember you. Why is David saying that now? Because he's probably not sleeping that well. People want to kill him. And he's out in, in the wilderness, so he, he's not in his own bed. And so in the night watches, he's probably saying, I'm having a hard time sleeping, but I think about you, and I remember you. <clears throat> Notice what he says here. You have been my help in verse 7. This is talking about the past um, activity of God in your life. Now, David didn't have uh, an understanding of who Jesus was actually going to be. We do, and we've all embraced him. And the primary way we reflect back and think about how Jesus has been our help is we think about how he's forgiven us. When we go back and we reflect on the, the closet of guilt that we had that was clinging to us for so long. And in that shame and in that guilt, we came before the Lord and we, we laid it out before him. We heard it beautifully done uh, a few weeks ago in baptism. They laid out what they've, what they've done in the past, but they can now stand forgiven before God and we stand forgiven. And so when we reflect back, what are we reflecting back on God's help for us? We reflect back on God forgiving us. We didn't deserve it. How can we not go back and say, God, thank you so much that you've redeemed me. Thank you so much that you've forgiven me. The devoted life does that. It reflects back on the goodness of God. There's many other categories, of course, that God has helped you as you've cried out to him in prayer, like David is here in times of stress and in times of anxiety, in times of adversity, you cry out before God. And so you'll remember back to those times as well. But primarily for us as Christians, we remember back how Jesus has forgiven us. It's the most incredible thing that that's not attached to us. I was listening to a sermon this last week by Dick Lucas, and he uh, rightly makes this observation about glory, is that your, uh, your memory does not go away. And he's talking about the people who are not connected to Jesus Christ. And that memory and, and all of the guilt that they have done stays with them. It never goes away. And they get to replay that for the rest of eternity, not us. We reflect back on the goodness of God and how he's forgiven us, and it's an incredible thing to reflect back on. And that's what we do as Christians. It doesn't, it's not always verbally. Sometimes we just think back of the goodness of God. You ever find yourself, you're driving in the vehicle, and you start thinking about God, or in the night watches, maybe you can't sleep, you start thinking about God and just how good he is to you. That's what Christians do. That's what the devoted life does. And then finally, the devoted life trusts God. We trust him. We trust him. We pick this up really from verses 9 through to 11. He's talking about how people want to kill him. People are lying. He's talking about the justice that's going to come to them. But he says in verse 11, 
everyone who swears by him, that's New American Standard, everybody who trusts in him might be a better translation. I think the NIV has it that way. Everyone who trusts him will glory. These are people who trust him. In what kind of circumstances? In adverse circumstances. This is not David trusting in God once everything turned out well. David right now is on the run, but he can still trust in God. So in the midst of the circumstance, as rough and as difficult as it is, whatever adverse situation you find yourself in, we still trust God because he is a good God and we trust him. And that's what David's showing here. What's interesting here is he says, he, he actually changes, uh, he, he's talking in the I uh, personally, all the way through here. But then he says in verse 11, he says, actually, everybody, everybody who trusts in him, now he's including us, all of us, all who trust in him, that's us. We look to God for our help. We look to God um, for his care. We look to God sometimes for his justice. But we look to him regardless of the adverse circumstances because we trust him and we know that all things will work out for good for those who trust in him. And that's not the good as we define it. That's the good as God defines it. And sometimes, even as here with David, sometimes that means you're going to go through an adverse situation where the wickedness and the evil of the world is going to hit you. Well, we don't waver. We don't move away from God. In fact, probably like David here, our trust and our devotion to him becomes more spelled out. So the devoted life, it craves for God. It craves for him. I've got some uh, verses there, but it's... It's the craving David had for him. It's also the craving that Asaph had for him. It's the craving of the Apostle Paul. It's the craving of the disciples. And it's the craving of us. We crave for him. Uh, secondly, the devoted life is fully satisfied with God. If we've got Jesus, we've got everything. We don't need anything else if we've got him. Now, God is very kind and he's very merciful and very gracious to us. That when we live the life that he asks us to, there's many, many benefits uh, that we get to live on this, on, the, on this earth. And so we're grateful for those, 100%. But we are fully satisfied with him and him alone. Even if we don't have any of those things, we're so fully satisfied with him. Uh, thirdly, <clears throat> the devoted life that praises God is what we do. The, the, the life that's devoted to God, we praise him. This is normal. That's why we sing to him. That's why we tell him we love him when we pray to him. We praise him and we thank him, and that's just a normal part of the life that's devoted to him. Uh, fourthly, um, the devoted life reflects on the goodness of God. Man, how good is he to us? God, you are good. We sing those songs, too, about how good God is to us. But when we're thinking and when we're driving and maybe at night we're laying there and, and we think about how good God is to us, that's what the devoted life does. We think about the goodness of God. And then finally, we trust in God, even in adverse times. Even in adverse times, we trust in God. Our trust level doesn't, doesn't lower. David, he's on the run. His life is in jeopardy. People want to kill him, and he says, I trust this God. This God of mine, I trust him. You say, well, what, you know, I don't know what circumstance or situation you're in right now that you have to trust the Lord. Maybe you're in some kind of adverse situation, but the devoted life doesn't go, it doesn't cave in on itself. The devoted life expresses the desire and the need and the craving and the trust that we have in God. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more information on our church or this recording, please contact us at www.pineridgehouse.com.